0: Welcome to another episode of uh, the India Independent Films Podcast. This is Rahul Desai here. I have with me my good friend and uh, film critic Uday Bhatia. Um, hey. Today we are going to discuss something that's very close to our hearts and especially close to Uday's heart. So this is the most excited I'm going to hear him in a podcast. Uh, We're we, This is a Tom Hanks special uh, and on the back of his latest release, uh, which was... Uh, Greyhound which released on Apple TV last week. Uh, We are going to discuss some of our favorite Tom Hanks performances and more or less just sort of celebrate the greatness of him. So uh, Uday since you uh, have been a lifelong Hanks fan I'm pretty sure a lot of us uh, sort of started on later in life but you can start with this one. Yeah so I I mean
1: as I I think I wrote in the uh, in a, in my review of a beautiful day in the neighborhood, I kind of uh, grew up. I feel watching Tom Hanks movies yeah. uh, in the sense that he was probably the first actor whom I hitched my wagon to in a way. In the sense that you know, like he's my guy. Like I, I'll, I'll watch anything that he comes up with, and uh, it's kind of remained that way over the years. So uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm stoked for this episode. Yeah, um, same. Yeah, yeah we um, uh should we uh, start by talking about Greyhound since uh, both of us reviewed it and uh, it's sort of out recently on uh, Apple TV?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can start with Greyhound uh, because, I, yeah, I think both of us were the only uh, sort of critics in our circle to review it. And I'm glad I did because, you know, there was also... Uh, the Charlie Theron film and I, I chose this one because obviously because of Hanks and as you said you know soft spot for Hanks after all these years. Uh, admittedly the trailer didn't look great of Greyhound um, yeah. but you know um, yeah go on um, what did you what was your reaction after Greyhound first? So um,
1: just briefly for people who haven't seen the film it's a it's a World War Two film. Uh, in uh, which uh, Hanks is the uh, commander again of uh, of a warship um, which is tasked with taking a convoy of, uh, of, of supply ships across the Atlantic and um, they're uh, going through a very dangerous zone uh, which has uh, no air cover and a lot of lurking uh, uh, German U-boats submarines so um, Uh, and uh, it's a it's a pretty short film Uh, it's uh, it's just 90 minutes and it's it's really uh, it's really tight it's really efficient in the sense that there's very little wasted material in that sense there's uh, almost uh, I would say 98% of it takes place on the ship itself so um, uh, I, um, I, I thought it was a sort of almost a a throwback to the uh, kind of uh, small budget or mid-budget films that uh, we'd see maybe like five, ten years ago with more frequency, even, you know, releasing. And now that kind of seems to have been replaced by uh, franchises and uh, anything which is high concept. This is very not high concept. (laughs) It's very low concept. It's basically you can get an idea of exactly what will happen in the film form the trailer
0: mm. yeah I mean uh, I mean that's for me this film I, I sort of didn't uh, know what to expect in that sense but while watching it at least the first thing that came to my mind is that uh, it sort of reminded me of yeah as you said low concept is one way but you know, even Nolan had a low concept film in Dunkirk technically, and he turned it into a high concept film with sure. the yeah. of time and with the way he messed with the narrative. and sort of made it that way. Uh, yeah. I'm glad that you know Hanks, who also wrote this film, didn't sort of go that way, and he stuck to the basics. I'm I'm talking writing wise so far. We'll get into his performance soon, but you know, I, I was pretty uh, uh, you know hooked, and I think I I mentioned this to you. Uh, after watching the film, that I did not understand a word of what <laughs> anyone was saying in the film. For those who haven't watched it, there is a lot of technical jargon uh, of the Navy, of naval warfare, uh, uh, you know, of uh, sort of submarine attacks, and basically the stuff we really don't hear a lot in our lives. And it's really difficult to decipher if they're talking physics or geography, and you have no idea. They are just terms flying around everywhere. I thought despite that, the film really was a miracle in how it sort of held our gaze and uh, sort of just was very committed about uh, uh, sort of being shot on the ship and following one character, Ustermans, who plays the captain, and sort of following him around the ship. Uh, and showing us the film and showing us the situation that they are in through his gaze. I love the fact that the camera sort of doubled uh, in, uh, sort of became his uh, vision of what we were seeing. Because as we know, and I, I think I mentioned this in my review also, he basically is more or less a glorified version of a civilian uh, in this. Like in the sense that this is his first wartime assignment. Uh, and uh, the fact that the camera has an excuse to follow him because he is pretty amazed at what's happening around him. He is like a fish out of water, but at the same time taking to the situation quicker than most veteran captains because he is like eager to sort of get the job done and impress his crew and sort of uh, steer them out of a very tricky situation. Like it for some reason, I don't know why, but J.P. Dutta's border came to mind when sort of... <laughs> Uh, when Jackie Shroff's air cover isn't coming and they have to sort of fight a land battle till dawn. Uh, so okay. that's pretty much the premise of this too. But uh, yeah, I mean, I love the fact that the film stayed very true to its protagonist in that sense. And it gave us an excuse to look at the ocean, look at the violence in the ocean, look at the sky, because there's a lot of action going around, uh, going on around the ship And uh, a lot of times you are just seeing Hanks sort of standing at different corners of his own ship and uh, looking at uh, imminent attacks and looking at uh, the convoy ship sort of burning into the water. So, yeah, I mean, I I thought it was a very smart film uh, and I thought, uh, of course, Hanks' performance was deceptively good. Yeah,
1: I I I agree with you that uh, it it may be a simple film, but it's it's uh, it's a it is a smart film. Like as you'd mentioned, it's his first uh, it's his first crossing, it's his first real war experience, and you can they've very subtly kind of shown how the sailors are just a little bit skeptical of his commands earlier on, but there's no. There's no overt sign. There's just like maybe a second of hesitation after he says something. Maybe one or two times he has to repeat it for them, and that's that's all. That that's about it. Nobody makes a bigger deal uh, out of that uh, than than those slight hesitations. And and you see the slight hesitations in him also. At, at one or two key moments, he freezes. And that just happens for a few seconds, but it's again, it's it's it played so well because uh, you know Hanks does very yeah, you know, it's just such subtle work uh, uh you know within this character who remains largely impassive, like his his face uh doesn't show much emotion, but you can read a lot, even into his body language, uh in this. Uh did, did you um, uh, did you uh, get reminded of any of his other performances watching this
0: one? Uh, yeah, actually a lot of his other performances. For some reason, I felt like there was uh, it was almost like a best-of-hang showreel in a sense because there was a, not a lot of talking going on. Obviously, there were a lot of orders. He was basically only speaking through his instructions in the film and uh, a lot of close-ups of his face at crucial moments sort of gave us an idea of what he was thinking. Of. It reminded me of a lot of films in which he played the captain. Basically, he's played captain in a lot of films. And, right. uh, of course, I'm going to come to that later as to why, you know, directors sort of love using him in this kind of role. Uh, right. But, uh, yeah, it did remind me a bit of sort of Captain Phillips in that sense. It reminded me a bit of Sully, Saving Private Ryan, uh, you know, a bunch of other films. But m- more than anything, it for some reason, I got glimpses of his Bridge of Spies performance in this one. Uh, I, I don't know why but there were particular moments in this film where it it almost was like he was making uh, a negotiation in his head between the kind of decisions uh, he's challenged with and as you said you know there's, there's this uh, very subtle uh, sort of uh, skeptical attitude from his crew of course that you know if it was any other film or a Hindi film for that matter they would have really made a big deal out of it and Pretty much everything we read here is on Tom Hanks' face and the, that whole negotiational sort of performance that he does because you sense that he doesn't totally believe in what he's doing, but he's right. doing it because it's the immediacy of the moment. He needs to do it. Uh, right. It's his first, uh, you know, sort of uh, pass. And uh, it, it's it. that's why it reminded me of the bridge of spice thing because you, you could sense even as a lawyer in that film, he was uh, skeptical of so many things of the politics of being stuck between two ends and he, and yeah. of being uh, at the receiving end of a lot of, skepti- uh, you know, of a lot of hostility from uh, the American side as well. So uh, in that sense, it was a very physical version of his bridge of spice performance because here he's literally on a ship uh, in danger of being killed. So yeah, for I mean, that's and these are all good performances. These are all very solid performances. And I, I love the fact that we saw shades of other Tom of other films in a performance that could have easily been dismissed because it was technically an action film or a war film. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's absolutely
1: true. And <laughs> there's, uh, I, I, there, there's one moment that amused me. There, there, there are actually two instances of the, of the, the sailor's uh, cussing uh, yeah. during that one guy says fuck and one guy says son of a bitch at like very heated moment which is not at all you know uh, surprising given mm-hmm. the kind of situation there in the film it is and both of them immediately say sorry and yeah. and to me it's like they're saying sorry because they're cussing in front of Tom Hanks exactly. and nobody wants to do that exactly. rather than the captain. I exactly. think <laughs> any other captain wouldn't have got that apology. <laughs> but, but, you know, when Tom Hanks
0: is your captain, you don't curse in front of him. I mean, yeah, that's exactly, that's the lovely part of casting Tom Hanks in these authoritarian roles, right? Because he's sort of more of a mentor, paternal figure, character in most of these roles. So you see the reactions, as you said very rightly, you see the reactions of characters around him as a reflection of people around Tom Hanks in the real world. And, uh... Especially in a World War II film where the pressure is so high and you're, you know, you're at the risk of being, you know, torn to bits any moment. Uh, to see these guys and to see Tom Hanks address them only by their surnames in a very polite manner, uh, yeah. sort of yeah, it was it, it was these small little things and I, I could can I could imagine Tom Hanks writing this his own character into it while writing the film, saying you know peop- I mean I, and he's very self-aware of the people. Perceive him in a film, and the way people perceive Tom Hanks as a celebrity, uh, and how you know both of them sort of meet at some point, and yeah. that's what even I wanted to ask you. Do you think because uh, of the way uh, you know Tom Hanks is known as this very of the nice, as technically the nicest celebrity ever, the nicest actor ever, the you know like this good guy image that he has off the screen. And, you know, I mean, all of us go to read Tom Hanks doing great things articles, right? Like these unexpected kindness things. And of course, that's become a legacy over the years. That's become an image over the years. How much do you think his, do we react to his performances based on that? Do you think we read too much into his dramatic performances because of that? When we see him under pressure, when we see him uh, sort of in a gray zone, uh, or torn between two moral uh, sort of uh, sides. Uh, how much is Tom Hanks, the serious actor, uh, derived from our perception of him in real life? Because it's clearly worked to his strength over his career, and I do yeah. feel sometimes that that adds so much to our perception of you know the way he uh, does his roles. Because if you see suddenly Tom Hanks in a dark situation or in a pressure situation. Uh, the first thing that comes to our mind is we do not want to see the actor in that situation.
1: Right. Yeah. And there's, uh, I I think it does affect the way we see it uh, quite a lot. And um, not only does it affect, but I I, uh, I sometimes feel like I I wish more people were trying to subvert it more often mm. and uh, to use that, but then to like have a twist and not make him so wholesome yeah. uh, but he does end up you know playing these honorable men uh, but it's again it's the the thing is that uh, it's it's a it's it's been like that since maybe the uh, 70s that we want our actors to have a very large range and to play like a variety of characters and only then are they considered like for, like the the best of their generation that kind of thing and Hanks uh, uh, is, in my mind, more so in the latter part of his career, um, uh, which we'll get to the individual films. But I was thinking he's 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 in many ways a throwback to the uh, early Hollywood stars, the Spencer Tracy's and the Jimmy Stewart in in uh, in particular uh, actors who could uh, do a lot within a certain, even though they had their persona, they could do a lot within that. And it's not easy to, you know, like people would say that, you know, John Wayne doesn't act, he just turns up and he's John Wayne. Mm. But they don't understand how difficult it is to come and do that and be interesting film after film after film. So when people are saying that Tom Hanks is just being Tom Hanks on screen, there's actually a lot going on. And if he was just being Tom Hanks on screen, people would have stopped watching him because it wouldn't be interesting. No one wants to see the same thing over and over again. So he's actually innovating, but it's within a, perhaps within a smaller area. So it doesn't look like, you know, Christian Bale changing his accent every single film.
0: Yeah, that that for me is also a greater art in a way, because so many actors are slaves to their reputation, not slaves to their image. And... uh, And Tom Hanks in particular over the years, I feel like the Academy and a lot of sort of award functions have uh, sort of let this get to their heads in the sense that they've overlooked the versatility of him as an actor because uh, it's very easy, as you said, it's very easy to say that Tom Hanks is just doing his thing. Uh, And, you know, we've seen that uh, in the latter part of his career, especially because he's aging and he's becoming... Uh, more and more like that sort of wholesome granddad we all wish we had. And, right. uh, you know, I, and of course, on a professional level, I feel like uh, his acting is being overlooked because of that. His sort of his art form is being overlooked. But and even as you said, in the way the director sort of cast him, they aren't maybe taking enough risk. But even within that, uh, obviously, Hanks brings so much uh, even within seemingly simple, uh, straightforward uh, under-pressure roles or, you know, honorable man roles, as you said. And uh, for me, that that itself is... Uh, it, it, and, you know, a lot of us sort of also notice all the chocolate boys of the 80s and the 90s uh, yeah. who sort of matured very well and into very good actors. Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, couple of them, you know, like yeah. who were known for uh, uh, you know, their, their looks and their sort of star power and yeah. their stardom and whatnot and have grown into really good actors over time because they've really been curious about the craft and they've, they've aged well. and But Tom Hanks, I believe, is one of the rare actors, even though despite his rom-com wholesome image that he had in the 90s where people used to, you know, Indians used to freely compare him to Amir Khan, uh, I, I still feel like uh, he was a great actor right from the beginning. It's just that, Uh, And even in the seemingly flimsy films that he did or the nice uh, watchable rom-coms that he did, uh, there was always something uh, more than, of course, uh, a lot of people noticed that early in his career by, you know, he did win a lot of awards in the 90s. But I, I feel like he was, even in these kind of films, he was always a step ahead of the generation. And it was, he has the kind of face that makes it very easy to overlook how good he is. So, you know, I mean, you're spot on about sort of the not enough risk thing, but which, you know, which is a sort of a good segue into uh, his career in general. Uh, We are going to be uh, discussing some of our favorite tanks performances, uh, both Uday and me. So, uh, Uday, you can start with, you know, your um, favorites first.
1: Uh, Okay, I'll go with with a popular one. Um, uh, Let's uh, do Philadelphia. Because um, that, in a way, was a very pivotal film for him. Uh, yeah. It came in uh, in 1993, and mm. until then, uh, and he started in '84. Actually, he started in '80 with a slasher film called "He Knows You're Alone," but yeah. I don't. I don't know if anyone's seen that. I've never seen that. So mm. his uh, his uh, debut, which everyone actually knows, is "Splash." Uh, yeah, the Ron Howard film, the Ron Howard mermaid Tom Hanks film <laughs> uh, from '84. So from '84 to '93, he was almost uh, exclusively in in comedies, and yeah. a lot of these were sort of frat boy comedies. Um, mm. And uh, he kind of came out of that, and so. Philadelphia was, uh, and that came in the same year, Sleepless in Seattle. So Sleepless in Seattle was sort of half comedy, half dramatic role. So he was moving towards uh, dramatic roles, but Philadelphia, uh, in which he plays an AIDS patient uh, who decides to sue uh, his uh, law firm for for, uh, wrongful termination, and Denzel Washington plays his lawyer. So in in that... um, uh, he was, uh, you know, he was startling because everyone sort of had that idea that, oh, I know what uh, what Tom Hanks does. He's like this sort of likable, smart aleck, uh, funny guy. And uh, then he turns up, you know, his hair is shaven and his eyes have that sort of wild look and he's in a cap and his, his voice is sort of breaking. And it, it's a, it, that was, I think, the, great pivot, like one of the great acting pivots away from a persona into like a really rich career like of of any actor
0: yeah, yeah totally Uh, Philadelphia it's in my list too so you know I mean it's it's a very obvious selection for anyone who's been following Hanks for a while and uh, as you said yeah it was the first move away from you know Hanks the sort of uh, lightweight actor to sort of a heavy role and that obviously was um, you know a very smart bit of casting and I believe like his Philadelphia performance uh, was for me one of the best male performances of the 90s of that entire decade I I don't know how much of it is down to sort of me watching Philadelphia very early in my childhood but it's kind of one performance that sort of stuck with me I can pretty much uh, reel off the film by heart I'm sure you can too and uh, you, you know it, and him playing uh, a, a sort of guy a sort of guy who's been wronged on so many fronts in that film and the way he feeds off the energies of the other actors in the film because you know at the same t- you know that he's sort of juxtaposed against the gaze of uh, 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 against the gaze that other people have of uh, uh, you know homosexuals at that particular point in history in America uh, uh then you put like a homophobic character who Denzel Washington's lawyer starts as a homophobic character and sort of, you know, it's a beautiful way of sort of turning a character over a period of time. And then at the same time, you have a very supportive family of his uh, that you have around him. I remember pretty much all their faces for some reason. And um, his entire relationship with Antonio Banderas, as, who's his partner in the film, uh, sure. and even Banderas for an extent, was a inspired piece of casting because, you know, he was this yeah. action star throughout the 90s. He was never taken seriously as an actor for the longest time. And to see both of them sort of play this role uh, and yeah. the way they did it, I, I felt like the definitive coming out moment for Hank as an actor, like where you could literally see him blossom, blossom into sort of a butterfly in a way, was uh, that particular one scene where he, he sort of sings along the uh, that opera scene in the room where uh, you, you know where he's trying to make Denzel Washington feel the music and you can you can feel so many weird things at once with Hanks's sort of pained expressions in that scene and you can almost and the beautiful part of that scene is the way the camera sort of focuses on Denzel Washington's face because you could literally see Washington admire Hanks sort of explode onto the scene. It, he was pretty much mirroring our perception of Hanks in that scene or <laughs> Hanks in his career. And that was a lovely moment and that's, you know, stayed with me all my life and uh, whenever I do want to watch snippets of Philadelphia, that's the scene I go back to. Yeah, well, that's that's the
1: scene that's the kind of scene they give Oscars for and, and they did <laughs> give him an Oscar <laughs> for Best Actor uh, and uh, it's that that's a phenomenal scene, and uh, one one more thing that kind of strikes me when I I was I was watching bits of the film yesterday also, and you you see something that hadn't been there in Hank's performances before this, perhaps because he hadn't really had a chance to uh, to show it, but which became very much a feature of of his uh, acting uh, since I think, which is that he has this amazing watchfulness uh, mm. in scenes like. Uh, you know, even even when uh, he's he's not uh, talking or doing anything, he's just sitting there. You can just see him taking in uh, what Denzel is saying or uh, what, what uh, any of his uh, you know co-actors are saying at that time. And and there's this alertness that is uh, you know it, it's it's like your eyes are drawn to him just to see his reactions instead of to the person who's speaking or who's doing something. Uh, and th- that watchfulness then takes on a lot of forms in many, many different uh, Hanks films, you know, yeah. including two recent ones, *Bridge of Spies* and *A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood*, both of which uh, the characters have that very watchful quality, and but in in very different ways uh, from from his character. That, yeah.
0: yeah, that that's actually a great point to mention about him, the watchfulness, because. Now that I think of it, that trait is there pretty much in all his films since then, I mean, all his good performances since then, because uh, another film that comes to my mind because of it is Catch Me If You Can, where he's really not the title role, he's not the lead role, he is a sort of detective being made a fool of by like uh, like a sort of prodigy thief. Who's running across the world and Leonardo DiCaprio is the headline of that film. And it's on yeah. your list. And I can see why. Because you know, that watchfulness is what I remember of Hanks from that role. Because yeah. you know, it's so easy to play to the gallery with that role. And you know, because he's probably made to feel like a buffoon throughout the film. But uh <laughs> the, the way yeah. sort of like even when he a simple thing like answering uh Caprio's call you know when they are in office when Caprio just calls him and he's sitting in an empty office uh yeah. and they have that conversation in that and yeah. you know you can see Hanks literally watching Leonardo, who's sitting in another city somewhere nobody knows where, but you can see his gaze burn through him even though they are on phones like in another era like in like in the early wherever mm-hmm. whenever it was so that yeah. is a very good point yeah i mean catch me if you can that's a good choice actually yeah catch me if you
1: can <laughs> i i crack up when i see his performance in that because he's so so humorless yeah. it's, it's, it's just like like jokes bounce off him as if he's like repellent to them <laughs> then <Like>, knock
0: knock jokes
1: <laughs> yeah which is which is great because he again like like all good actors, he he knows when he is not the guy who is supposed to have the personality. Now, imagine with you know the the personalities and the multiple personalities that DiCaprio has in that film. He plays this uh, ace con man who, who who gives everyone else the slip except uh, uh, the uh, Tom Hanks's FBI agent. Now, if if DiCaprio also came with like this huge amount of personality and then Tom Hanks also tried to yeah. sort of uh, add his, it just wouldn't work. So <laughs> I think just by deleting all shades of any kind of charisma from his performance, I think it balances out really nicely.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Catch Me, if you can, as it, yeah, it's, it's probably like a comic role in disguise in a sense... Yeah. He would have been a comedian in any other film, his character, but because it's Hanks, because he's sort of an FBI agent, because he's it's sort of a real story, a true life thing. Uh, yeah. I just love the personality he brought to that role. So And and he adds so much to uh, the film. I feel like there's a great understanding in general between him and Spielberg. I uh, yeah. love to be a fly on the wall, you know, in their sort of conversations and the way he frames Hanks. Yeah. Yeah, Catch Me If You Can, definitely one of his more... And, and
1: because it's Spielberg, of course, it becomes poignant because a, a sort of father-son relationship forms between DiCaprio's oh, okay. character and and Tom Hanks' character. And it becomes quite moving, you know, DiCaprio calls him up and says, like, stop chasing me. And yeah. uh, Tom Hanks just says, I can't. And it's, uh, that's that's a it's a lovely scene.
0: Yeah, yeah. One of my choices uh, is also like, uh, I mean, it's not a very conventional one, but it's Big, uh, which is basically uh, a film, which is such, I mean, if you just hear the synopsis, it's sort of such a flimsy synopsis. It's the kind of film you just dismiss uh, as a sort of very flimsy comedy that has no business being anything more than a children's film. But Big is like a 1988 film by Penny Marshall. Uh, it's a simple thing about a child sort of uh, making a wish that uh, like a, uh, that he was bigger and he wanted to be taller but you know his wish comes true and he becomes an adult over like it's one of those freaky friday kind of things where, which is and one of the first instances of it in hollywood for me and for me it was the first uh, tom hanks film i saw in my life also it was before splash before anything else of tom hanks this was my first viewing of tom hanks in uh, in big and uh, it's actually and you know i just noticed when i was looking through it again today that he was actually nominated for an oscar for yeah, like, really? for lead yeah. actor so this was literally first uh, oscar nomination for a film you cannot imagine anyone getting an <laughs> oscar for, and best original <laughs> screenplay above that so you can imagine what Hanks must have done in that film to be nominated, like in a genre of flimsy children's film, he sort of gets nominated. It's, it's almost like, you know, uh, I mean, and we've seen so many Hollywood comedies make like spin so much, you know, like tacky yarn of this same concept over the years. But for me, Tom Hanks brought a lot of sort of, uh, innocence to the role obviously innocence is an easy word to say because he's actually an adult playing a child in that film he's he's like a child stuck in an adult's body and the other role that comes to my mind when obviously the first thing you think is this is Forrest Gump and it's not on any of our lists today but you know I'd say this role he did in Big was better than the Oscar, the the role he did in Forrest Gump and which he won an Oscar for which is Probably for me, the most overrated film of all time, also <laughs> at the same thing. Uh, but Big is actually where you saw shades of why Hanks went on to play uh, Forrest Gump because uh, th- there's so much in Big and B- that it sort of makes it sort of manages to get across the point of how innocence is uh, a, a dying concept in the modern world and how it can go very far and be misunderstood, but also sort of uh, make it because you know. I mean, the guy sort of becomes a big deal in this film with his very childlike philosophies. And we've heard that before. We've seen it happen so many times uh, in so many films. But it's most convincing in this film, despite its premise. And uh, I, I felt like Hanks brought so much to the role um, in general, because it's so easy to sort of uh, play a very crowd-pleasing sort of child uh, but mentally diminished child and that's the, th- that's the thing he gets right here because in in Forrest Gump he's actually playing someone who's mentally diminished but here uh, there, there's the, he knows that balance and he plays the child so well in an adult's body and as you said even the watchfulness is somewhat present in the roles where the director wants us to see that uh, at times the child is sort of morphing into an adult. And suddenly understanding the circumstance he is in or the situation he is in. Because his eyes somehow managed to get that across at the most unassuming moments. And it's very disarming as a viewer to see that. And this is a film that stayed with me uh, through the years. Of course, it defined a lot of my childhood uh, viewings of Hanks. Because between this splash uh, and Bachelor Party, I used to pretty much have like a, a ball of my own. Like just watching this very fresh faced actor go about his uh, thing yeah i uh, i
1: can't um, I, I can't say uh, that i have very strong memories of big because i saw it as as a kid on tv and i don't remember too much of it except that very famous scene where he and the uh, and the old man are, uh, are uh, making music by jumping on that sort of keyboard that's there on the floor, so they they kind of jump from key to key, and uh, they they play they play a tune, which is just, which was a great scene. Yeah, uh, yeah. This was uh, 1988, uh, yeah. so like quite quite a while to Philadelphia, uh, and uh, yeah. So interesting that he was kind of. Uh, Perhaps ready to move move on to you know better better things than like some of the silly comedies which he was getting, uh, yeah. but it uh, took a few years for people to catch up and realize that he was uh, already there
0: yeah, I mean, you could easily sort of imagine an actor like Hanks Su gets nominated for an Oscar for Big and like deciding to do these roles all his career, but you know credit to him that he sort of took the leap a couple of years later with uh, a different kind of angst, with with a different kind of sort of uh, serious performance, uh, serious sort of actor that he went for, because he could have very easily stayed in his comfort zone and expected to get acclaim after Big 2. Yeah, yeah. There's.
1: um, I'll bring up another... Uh, a film from his uh, early part of his career and then maybe we can bring up like a more recent one and mix it up but uh, Sleepless in Seattle I thought was uh, Hank's uh, you know first of all at his most charming Uh, it it was a few months before Philadelphia so he was and it was uh, it was his last sort of comedy but it was also sort of a drama he plays a man who's a uh, young man who's lost his wife was a young son yeah. and uh, who gets into a sort of long distance I don't know if you'd call it relationship but uh, Meg Ryan in another city gets uh, fascinated uh, by him after hearing him on the radio uh, and uh, the film is about whether they'll get together or not and um, it was I, I mean it's, it's one of it's one of the most charming romantic comedies from an era where romantic comedies were big. And Now the romantic comedies kind of sort of disappeared uh, from from the uh, you know from the filmmaking sort of horizon. I, I don't see many of them around nowadays. Uh, and uh, it's it's interesting that for me, Tom Hanks is 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 so charming and he's so you know easy in a in a rom com. But but if you notice, especially after that, he did very few of them. He could have, uh, after the success of Sleepless in Seattle, he could have exclusively done them. And he would have been the highest paid star and the most beloved star if he had only done romantic comedies and mixed it up from time to time. Instead, he barely does any of them uh, in, in the years after which i found uh, quite quite fascinating
0: given yeah, I mean, that
1: he'd be extremely well suited
0: to that yeah totally i mean and he did uh, he did you've got mail which was again like a huge thing back yeah. in the 90s and uh yeah as you like he could have done so much more in that genre i'm sure a lot of fans were sort of begging for him to do it and sort of uh, you know wanting to see the Hanks uh, in that sense but I felt like, yeah, Sleepless in Seattle, easily one of the most charming rom-coms of the 90s for me. And, uh, and you know, given that there were so many. And uh, I, I really like the relationship between him and his son in that film. Uh, there were some really lovely scenes. And, you know, to sort of cast, uh, to sort of be opposite a boy who acts older than his age is always a tricky thing as a lead actor because you know you do, do not want to at the same time upstage uh the sort of younger character and you do not want to uh make it look like a gimmick at the same time and i thought Hanks managed that very well in this film and you know of course there is the whole chemistry with my Ryan and all but uh, i felt like there were some lovely moments in this film that uh you that made us really feel uh, for a widower uh, uh, for a new widower like that uh, in this film. And most of the time I felt, I found myself sort of feeling for the character even when Hanks wasn't on screen. And uh, mm-hmm. and despite, you know, the all the radio conversations and uh, I can, a lot of scenes I remember from that film in Megra and just listening to the radio and falling in love with him. And which yeah. was, which was a very understandable thing to do if Hanks was on the other side of the radio and him speaking the way he was because uh, you know, saying the things he was because uh, that's, that's exactly the kind of comfort zone that he could have really thrived on over the years. But yeah, I mean, Sleepless in Seattle was a classic in that genre for me. Yeah. You want to come to a more recent film then?
1: Yeah. That's- hmm.
0: So I I don't know. For me, uh, I, I don't see... Um, captain Phillips in your list but yeah for me uh, one of my favorite recent Hank's performances uh, in the last decade at least uh, has been Captain Phillips uh, where again he's a captain of a ship a cargo ship here and he's sort of uh, the ship is um, uh, taken a, a bunch of pirates uh, sort of take over the ship and Hank's is in charge obviously Hank's is in charge of the crew and he's uh And even here, he plays a guy who's not really prepared uh, to, uh, you know, sort of be in the situation he is. But again, it was a, uh, I think it was a Paul Greengrass film. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, you know, the thing about Paul Greengrass films is that it is so kinetic in the sense it's so visceral because he is very stubborn about the way he shoots his films, like how uh, so that entire documentary feel that he gets to his films sort of sometimes overwhelms the kind of performances that happen on screen and for me the the sheer tension of Hanks' performance in this film and especially uh, the fact that you know he was cast opposite some very promising uh, actors in this you know who would obviously make headlines uh, down the years because Barkhad Abdi in this film was for me, uh, obviously a scene stealer, especially yeah, he in was, he the was wonderful. that he's opposite thanks Yeah, I mean, and he was absolutely, like, dominating those scenes. And it takes a very clever and a very secure actor to uh, sort of uh, let that happen on screen, especially when someone of Hank's stature. I remember watching this actually in the middle of of a film festival. I think it was in the middle of Mami. I just needed a break from all the heavy stuff I was watching. And I went to a neighboring theater and went and watched Captain Phillips, which was obviously not exactly a nice I was like, thanks. How how heavy can it be? And Then I'm going in and coming out shell-shocked because probably the greatest Perform- performance not uh, probably the greatest scene of Hank's acting career comes at the end of this film for me uh, yeah. it, it's in that scene where he is where the entire drama is over uh, the the you know the, the pirates have been captured Abdi has been captured some have been killed Hanks has secured his sort of ship and then rescue comes and you know everyone all the drama is basically all the noise is over and Hanks is sitting in the nurse's cabin to be checked Uh, uh, you know, for any kind of injuries and for trauma. And there is, I have never had such a reaction to a big screen in my life, at least to a single moment like that. The way Hanks is so, uh, the the way his character Richard is so sort of, uh, he's so traumatized, but at the same time, you can literally feel his mask coming off. You can literally feel him melting, uh, saying, you know, okay, I've done my bit. Now I can let go. And him sort of breaking into tears, melting down, but not really melting down at the same time. I remember reading an article saying that nurse was actually real. She was actually a medical professional. Really? And, uh-huh. Yeah. She was. Uh, she and all she had to do is basically do her routine to check uh, if the captain is injured, if he's if he's seeing straight, if he's thinking straight. And she was like, it was so difficult for me to go through my routine when the guy in front of me who had actually never, the ship was never really hijacked in real life. There were no real pirates, but this guy was actually more traumatized than any other patient I've had in my life. And for me, that was just startling to see on the big screen because you could see, you could hear his voice quiver. And that was the time Tom Hanks sort of became something else totally for me uh, at this latter stage in his career. I just saw what he could be capable of and i was so i remember being so pissed off when he wasn't nominated for an oscar but then again <laughs> when is the academy ever a great uh, sort of uh, you know measure to what good yeah. performances are but that scene is my favorite time scene of his career
1: you could watch just that scene isolated from the film not watching the rest of the film and you will still be in tears at the end yeah. of it totally exactly it is- And yeah, I think it's a very nice Hank's touch. I don't know if it was there in the writing, but as he's breaking down, he also keeps thanking the nurse. Like he says, thank you. Like she's whatever, like helping him sit down. And he keeps like, he he can hardly speak, but he's like, thank you. And she says, it's all right. And he says, thank you again. And that was again, like, it's, it's such a, uh, you know, such a typical thing that you'd expect, uh, from that character. And it just says so much about who that character is that, you know, they're falling apart, but they're still like this uh, yeah. the kind of person who has that sort of sensitivity. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Captain Phillips was, again, very powerful performance. Uh, it's, uh, I, uh, it, it, it came in the same year as as uh, uh, one of my uh, least favorite performances and we'll I guess talk about these maybe towards the end uh, when we're uh, summing up the performances that maybe did not work that was Saving Mr. Banks uh, (laughs) in in which he plays uh, Walt Disney and uh, that is a, a big example of Persona sort of overtaking and becoming uh, Angst persona overtaking the film and uh, kind of changing what could have been an interesting story. Uh, I'll, um, I'll bring up, also bring up a recent film, one that uh, both of us uh, liked, uh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Actually, uh, uh, I, I wasn't huge on the film, but I thought his performance was really special. This is a, a 2019 film. Uh, by uh, Marielle Heller, and it's uh, he plays uh, Mr. Rogers, who's the uh, children's show host, beloved children's show host in in America, and uh, Matthew Reese plays a journalist who's trying to write a takedown <laughs> of Mr. Rogers, <laughs> and, and it's entirely and completely unsuccessful in doing that because uh, rogers instead solves him instead of him taking rogers apart which <laughs> uh, which is actually quite funny but uh, the film doesn't play it for laughs for the most mm. part and uh, i thought it was uh, it, it, it seemed a little when i when i heard that this film was being made and tom hanks was cast i was a little skeptical simply because like fred rogers uh, is such a well-known personality, and everyone is so familiar with him. And Tom Hanks also is so well-known now that everyone knows his rhythms, his patterns. And I was wondering how you know whether they, you know one would be able to fit into the you know and within the you know, boundaries of the other, and seem convincing, or would you just be like, oh my God, who am I watching? Am I watching Hanks or am I watching Dodgers? But that was not the case when I. When I saw the film, I thought uh, I thought just by like small adjustments, he changes his uh, tone of voice a little bit, makes it just a little bit like uh, gentler and a little bit slower, and he he captures uh, that uh, sort of uh, into that particular way of talking and uh, moving and uh, interacting with people uh, uh, very accurately. Uh, uh, what did uh, what did you
0: feel about this performance? No, I, I I I mean I saw it only recently. In the sense, I didn't did not review it when it came out. I remember you watching it and having very good things to say about it. And you know, uh, and I was actually I hadn't even watched it when the Oscars when he was nominated for an Oscar, and I was kind of surprised. I was like, you know hanks playing hanks you know how good can it be maybe someone else deserved the oscar nomination but then when i watched it like a couple of months ago during the lockdown i was you know i i mean as you said like there were so many things that were so easy about this role uh, it should have been so easy but i love the fact that the film the film sort of worked for me in a sense that here you have a writer who's sort of trying to write a long form or write a short profile of Mr. Rogers. So he's basically looking for uh, ticks. He's looking for an in. Uh, And, you know, and he's a serious writer and he's cynical. He's like all of us, basically. And he doesn't want to be doing such an easy thing. The same way we don't want to be watching Hanks play Mr. Rogers because it's such an easy thing to do. It's like writing a listicle, basically, for us. Uh, So it's one of, and I love the way the film sort of reflects our own problem, our own preconceived notions about the film, because the writers trying to sort of uh, solve him, as you said, and uh, uh, in the end, uh, you know, Mr. Rogers sort of turns the mirror onto the writer and sort of ends up literally being his therapist throughout the film in a way without really talking about his life. And that gaze, that watchfulness that you said is most apparent in this film and uh, and there's such a gentle but eerie gaze about him in this in this film and i love the fact that that's what uh, that that's what Hanks does to the viewer too the way that Mr Rogers does to the writer uh, he sort of decodes us instead of us decoding him because he uh, sort of turns the mirror on us as to what we were expecting from a very easy Mr Rogers performance because uh, you Some of the best scenes in the film include uh, featured uh, the writer uh, looking at Mr. Rogers perform on screen and do his thing, do his show, uh, and, you know, looking very hard to see where the sort of facade falls apart. But he can't really see it except in the scenes, the private scenes where Mr. Rogers is a little too nosy and keeps asking the writer questions instead of the writer asking him questions. You can feel the writer sort of get so annoyed with him. Uh, And I love that the graph throughout the film was that. And, uh, you know, the most moving... It it had the most moving sort of ending for me, especially being a writer. You can imagine the relief and the praise you get from your own editor saying that, you know, I'm Mm -hmm. going to make this the cover story. And (laughs) this is amazing. This is a great piece. And the writer being like, you know, oh, shit, I set out to write a... bloody like 400 word profile and this turned into the best piece of my career and then Mr. Roger visiting his dying father after sort of unwittingly uh, bringing father and son back together was it was just an amazing thing to pull off solely through a performance because the writing wasn't really strong in this film Uh, neither was you know neither were the other performances as such because there were a lot of uh, sort of very predictable things happening but you know hanks really lifted this film in ways that i didn't imagine would be possible
1: yeah now i feel like my review is crap after listening to all that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but uh, just for, for for anyone who's who's interested there's a there's a nice scene where uh, hanks as as mr rogers on the show uh, is uh, struggling with a tent and he can't get it to stand up uh, <laughs> properly <laughs> That was an actual thing that happened to the real Mr. Rogers on his show, and someone has done a side-by-side uh, video on YouTube, and it's fantastic. For, for a being like quite, you know, quite similar, quite uh, accurate thing, but Hanks makes it funny. That is what an actor does. You're not supposed to imitate it and keep it boring. When Mr. Rogers does it on his show. You can feel the weight of time and his frustration with it not happening, and then he just sort of throws it aside. When Hanks, as Mr. Rogers, does it, it's really funny while we watch him struggle, and then when he gives up, you know, then uh, then it's like the same as 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 the original. So that's a good good sort of small example of what an actor can take and then embellish on their own.
0: Yeah, it's it's the it's sort of the same. It's sort of an analogy for uh, a good actor trying to play temporarily, trying to play a bad actor. It's like, you know, what DiCaprio does in, does in one, you know, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. In yeah.
1: That scene,
0: yeah. It's like a sort of play on that scene, especially with the way Hanks is struggling with the tent and sort of doing something that is totally outside Roger's personality and sort of Hank's personality also sort of being inelegant in a way. It's so difficult to play uh, something you're not, which is you know, a clumsy person or an elega- inelegant or a bad actor. And uh, I thought that scene, yeah, that that's a, actually a great scene to mention. My, uh, I, I think, also should I go with my next uh, performance? Go ahead. Uh, yeah, so I, I think this is on both our lists, uh, The Terminal, which is another Spielberg film. Uh yeah. And it's obviously, I mean, for a lot of people, it might sound like a very crowd-pleasing choice and, you know, but there is really a lot of method to Hanks. is, uh, And this was the one film in which I, I came the furthest from recognizing Tom Hanks in any role ever, in the sense that it's not just weird accent that he has in this film or that he belongs to a fictional country uh, which is basically a mix of, you know, Russia and a bunch of other East European countries, but, and uh, Krakos, of course I remember, but uh, the the fact that Hang sort of gets away, not only gets away, but sort of elevates uh, a, a performance that is really designed as a caricature of a particular uh, geography, of a particular region, of a particular way we look at people from that region, uh, took to sort of elevate that into and the realm of sort of uh, a, almost a real life story of a guy stuck at JFK airport for uh, for you know indefinitely because uh, his sort of country is uh, in, in has gone to war and so suddenly his passport is null and void so he is a man with no country in this and he's stuck at New York's uh, airport and uh, i love the uh, the chemistry between him and stanley tucci because for me it just <laughs> of the best scenes in this film has uh stanley sort of just looking with building frustration and sort of a poker face as to how this guy who's who basically hanks could have easily played as a cartoon uh, and yeah. who who even stanley looks at look looks at as a cartoon sort of keeps uh frustrating him in so many ways. And there were obviously a lot of very sappy Spielberg touches to the film as to how, you know, the guy sort of becomes friends with a lot of other airport workers and the Indian guy and, uh, you know, and and the Mexican guy and the black guy. So there are a lot of, you know, obvious markers of a crowd pleaser, of a very, you know, easy uh, bring a smile on your face film. But there's so much heart in Hank's performance here and especially uh, you know, uh, playing someone who isn't really a, a, a guy who understands the language of English, who cannot speak English. Hanks is the only actor who manages to pull off playing a character who's first, who's, the actor's first language is English. But you're, you can actually do every single scene where he cannot speak the language, cannot understand the language. And some scenes you see him conveniently understanding certain words Of a sentence, like especially when Stanley Tucci is uh, speaking, Hanks, his eyes does so much. You know, his eyes do so much talking here, and he knows exactly uh, that. You know, he's really disliked by the uh, the airport uh, supervisor, and I I felt there was so much understanding of how to play a non-English speaking character who just understands enough of the uh, language. To make the audience understand that he understands enough so it's a very complicated sort of thing he does with the ease that only you know Tom Hanks can sort of pull off yeah
1: he's actually speaking Bulgarian in in the film.
0: yeah that's uh, that's and so he's he actually learned the language yeah apparently I mean or, or
1: at least enough to say his lines I, I don't know how well he's saying them but it sounds quite authentic yeah uh, you know, I I I, uh, I agree with you. I think it's uh, it's one of his uh, great comic performances. Yeah. Actually, uh, I I think uh, I think even if he had to do it without speaking as much as he does in very broken English and in Bulgarian, I think it would have been one of the great silent comic performances or near silent comic performances if he just had to do it with. Uh, you know, with his uh, actions and, and uh, nothing much said, uh, because uh, it's just that that sort of uh, mix of being completely out of your depth and completely lost, but just being a generally a resourceful person. Uh, it, that that mix has uh, become very clear in him. Like in in the first like ten fifteen minutes itself, he's shown sort of uh, shaving. Is stubble in a line to immigration, I think, or something like that. So, you know, you can, you know, that this is a character who's going to make something out of whatever terrible situation he's in uh, quite early. I'm not too fond of the film itself. Uh, It's sort of uh, slightly sappy, and uh, I'm not quite, uh, I, I don't really know how to feel about the Catherine Zeta Jones character. Yeah, uh, it felt a little bit like a throwback to like the Shirley MacLaine characters, like especially mm. the ones she played in the Apartment, like uh, back in the sixties. But um, yeah, it it didn't somehow seem to land. Like their romance felt a bit uh, uh, written uh, rather than felt, or at least that's where that's the way it seemed to me. But yeah, the performance is really is really, uh, really solid
0: yeah and doesn't he sort of look like a contractor in this like sound like a contractor even though he he can't really (laughs) speak the language but there's so much about uh, there's so much nuance he brings to the physicality of the performance especially when he's doing like sappy things like building a fountain or building you know uh, like at the one corner of an airport or sort of trying to like you know getting so overwhelmed by the gestures of his uh, friends in the airport or sort of uh, and especially that lovely scene where, uh, obviously, Oday, you might uh, really enjoy the goat uh, part, <laughs> but the standoff—I call it like the Mexican standoff in the airport between uh, Stanley, which is sort of airport boss, and him, and him suddenly uh, subverting his understanding of language to uh, to sort of save a guy who's been held for carrying certain medicines. And he, yeah. his eyes in that scene, his that smile, that's that very m- mischievous half smile that he gives, knowing that he's screwing over America at that moment, was just a yeah. moment of genius. And it's just Spielberg's timing that just lands that scene like no other scene in a comedy. Yeah, that's so
1: amazing. That, that's amazing. And anyone who thinks they know how that scene is going to end, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, should I uh, yeah. should I move on to my next? Yeah. So uh, yeah, sorry. This is an obvious one, but I don't see how we can do this without talking about saving Private Ryan. Yeah. So we're gonna go for that. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think one uh, one thing which sort of strikes me, and I was watching scenes from it today uh, earlier, is the how just in in casting hanks uh in, in that role uh, how how different he is from the kind of uh, war heroes who usually do get cast mm. and uh, the advantages of casting someone like hanks in that role i think is 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 a lot you know adds to the performance a lot and it's sort of slightly subverts our idea of, you know, you expect like a Nick Nolte kind of guy to be playing that or a Bryan Cranston who turns up in a very small role or like Ted Danson who turns up uh, for a scene uh, as as a captain. But uh, you don't expect Tom Hanks and that is alluded to in the film, if you remember, where uh, tom Hanks asks his troop very quite far into the movie uh, like uh, where the uh, where the pole on him has reached in terms of what he did as a civilian mm. and uh, and he he then tells them that he's a school teacher and he says back back then where, you know back in america in, in peacetime, uh people would look at him and and he tell them he's a school teacher and they'd say yeah that makes sense but he and uh, and he says, but obviously it doesn't make sense out here, which is I think like a very, I think it was smart of Spielberg and 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 the writers to sort of have that comment within the film itself that he is not your, yeah, the kind of actor whom you see in this kind of role, which adds to the, I think the tension and the and the vulnerability of of that character.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally, and. I- Exactly in like a brutal uh, sort of arguably the best war film ever made uh, and in such a brutal sort of setup, uh, especially, you know, the first 15 minutes of Saving Private Ryan is obviously known for so many things. Uh, you do not expect uh, to see, uh, you know, a leader like Hanks there. And uh, yeah, that's a great point about the teacher scene because it totally skipped. I mean, I did not notice that. And uh for me that that's why even his most recent role in Greyhound was so good because you know uh, it, it was sort of a companion piece to saving private Ryan in a way right. for me because uh, he's almost like a civilian again he's almost like a civilian play being in an extraordinary situation and uh, where he's sort of uh having to be tom what's something that tom Hanks is not for the country itself and that I think he fed it wonderfully in Saving Private Ryan, and uh, you could actually believe the fact that there is a group going back and doing uh, what would normally be considered a stupid thing in the middle of a war, uh, just for the sake of honor, just for the sake of sort of principle uh, to you know, to deliver a message to a soldier. Uh, and that too in such a perilous situation, you can actually believe that Tom Hanks is you know, sort of at the forefront of a troop like that. And that, yeah. uh, for me, is what added so much to a film that could have easily only been looked at as uh, one of the great technical marvels of you know uh, of war, war filmmaking. Uh, because you know performance is so easy to overlook in these films, and of course there's Matt Damon on one hand and there the younger actors there but uh, uh, you could yeah. believe the whole school teacher uh, sort of ethicality the principles that he carries and uh, that's why it, it does so much to justify the very uh, the very unbelievable core of the film that uh, that you know a, a bunch of soldiers is actually going on a yeah. mission that is not necessary so for me that yeah. really did define the heart of the film when there were so many there's so much bloodshed and violence around that this that was very important for me.
1: And I think it just sort of adds to our understanding of, of that war, which was that, you know, these everyone was called up who, who could be called up. It yeah. wasn't like, you know, like something like Fury, which is a fairly good war film and whatever. But everyone in that tank looks like they could kick your ass and like kill like yeah. six Germans. Bare handed, and yeah. uh, but hardly anybody in in Tom Hanks's uh, platoon is is uh, a particularly good soldier. There's like one or two of them. The sniper is great, and Ed yeah. Burns looks like he can maybe kick some people's ass. But other than that, they all look like the you know the civilians whom they probably were like you know not not jocks, not like tough guys, just people who were called up and drafted and now they're just put in the space and given this crazy mission. So it's yeah. sort of, uh, our identification, I think, with uh, with with them increases because of these, these touches, you know, because they look like normal people and not like, you know, action heroes. Uh, yeah. Which is, I think, a, a sort of trap that a lot of other war films fall into sometimes. Yeah. Uh, there's... Uh, <laughs> There's this, uh, I, I just um, re, you know rewatched the scenes and it reminded me that I always used to crack up. So I'll just tell you quickly. There's a there's a moment where uh, fairly early on in the film uh, where uh, they encounter Ted Danson's uh, uh, platoon uh, yeah. and uh, they they're asking uh, he's uh, he asks him whether there's a James Ryan in his uh, troop and uh, one guy says yes. And they're like, oh shit, we found him. (laughs) And he tells him that his brothers have died. And that guy starts crying. And Ted Danson is holding him. And that kid is crying. And and Tom Hanks is apologizing. And uh, (laughs) then finally, it turns out that it's the wrong James Ryan. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, And Tom Hanks just looks absolutely disgusted. Uh, and that guy asks, so does this mean my brothers are all right? And uh, Hank says, yeah, I'm sure they're fine. <laughs> and his his delivery of that line just cracks me up every time, because he's like, given all his emotional support to that guy when he thought he was the actual Ryan, and now he just doesn't care. And he's like, yeah, I'm sure your brothers are fine. <laughs>
0: Yeah. No, that's a great scene. I remember that scene very well, especially because of everyone's faces in that scene. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, so coming to my next uh, choice uh, is again a very popular choice and, you know, something I feel Hanks was robbed for, which is Cast Away. Uh, it is the best. For me, it's the best. Uh, Zemeckis is Hanks' collaboration. Uh, Forrest Gump fans can, you know, outrage some other day. <laughs> but... Uh, this was the film that. Uh, what that about
1: Polar people... Express fans?
0: Oh yeah, Polar Express. If there is such a thing, that's like Singing Jokes <laughs> fans. But <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Castaway is for me. Uh, obviously, it's a great film on many uh, counts. But uh, of course, the most challenging Hanks performance physically. Very obviously, because he plays two different kinds of fans. Uh, for those who haven't seen it, if you've not seen it, shame on you, obviously. But I'm not <laughs> going to judge you. Uh, but uh, it's about uh, sort of a, uh, was he FedEx or Blue Dart? FedEx. Uh,
1: FedEx. Yeah, yeah I FedEx. think it's
0: FedEx. Yeah, it's a, a FedEx plane crashing. Uh, FedEx executive uh, sort of getting stranded on an island, and for four years, and uh, then returning back to civilization. Uh, in That's pretty much it. Uh, but uh, for me, Tom Hanks, obviously, the Tom Hanks four years later is like half the size of Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks. So that's, that's obviously a very uh, massively committed performance uh, by Hanks. But more than anything, I think a lot of people overlook that, you know, you can actually sense, even though they don't show four years passing, Uh, on an island in the middle of nowhere, sort of being stranded, suddenly going from this sort of chubby guy to this stick-thin guy who's like an expert hunter by the end of it, eating raw fish. Uh, You you don't actually... You actually tend to sense uh, every one of those four years passing, especially in the way... uh, Even the way he sort of creates Wilson. For those who don't know, Wilson is the volleyball and probably the best co-star Tom Hanks has ever had. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's it's just one of those things where there is so much in the performance. Of course, most of it is, uh, you know, there's not a lot of dialogue because obviously there's a man stuck on an island. But uh, it's just, I think, one scene that has stuck with me uh, throughout these years. And I saw this film uh, back, you know, when I was in Ahmedabad and I was still sort of coming to terms with the theatrical experience uh, for me, some reason, the most memorable scene was just Hanks discovering fire, uh, how yeah. to light the fire, and then sort uh, of getting, getting so so uh, excited and sort of dancing around. Suddenly, the shot cuts from day to night, and by then, it's a <laughs> huge bonfire, and he's yeah. dancing around saying, <laughs> I have discovered fire. And he's sort of putting on a performance saying, this is me, I've done this. Uh, but uh, th- that's just such a great uh, uh, moment in a film, uh, that, you know, has so much more than just being a survival drama, because some of the best parts of the film is obviously when Hanks goes back to civilization and discovers his wife has married his dentist actually, and, uh, uh, sort of comes to term with the fact that, you know, he survived four years on an island and he has no life to go back to, uh, because for me, that was the Hanks of the early nineties that showed up in that last 10 minutes of the film, uh, suddenly you sort of see him being so poker-faced and being unable to emote. And that that whole uh, numbness that Hanks brought in the last 10 or 15 minutes of the film is really worthy of so much praise, especially that lovely scene where, you know, he kisses his wife. And, uh, uh, and you know, I cannot not mention the plane crash sequence. Uh, for me, it's probably the greatest plane crash sequence ever filmed on screen, especially in a theater, because I watched Cast Away back to back on two consecutive days, only because I wanted to watch the plane crash sequence again. Back then, I wasn't, you know, sophisticated enough to admire how good Hanks was, but that plane crash sequence sort of just jolted the hell out of me, and of course, Zemeckis has a knack for plane crash sequences. He did one in Flight 2. Flight is about him. Oh, a- yeah, so, so-
1: Zemeckis did Flight,
0: Yeah, Zemeckis has like a fetish for like plane crashes and but nothing like that FedEx plane crashing into the ocean and us watching the whole thing from Hank's perspective. It was just like, you know, beyond and I do not know how they got Hank's to do what he did there or, you know, how they shot it in a pool or in an ocean or whatever it is but I thought it was a tremendous uh, sequence that sort of brought out so much of why I admire how you know how good Hank's body language was in this film?
1: It's uh, it's been a while since I saw Castaway. I think I must have seen it in TV, really like way back when it released. Really yeah. I don't think I ever saw it in the theater, which is well, I I guess I yeah I don't think I saw it in the theater. Yes, yeah. But um, I think one one thing I'd just add to this from whatever I remember is that. Uh, you know, we've seen it with a lot of actors who you know start off as comic performers or or are in comedies. That they can, they they, it's it always serves them well when they move to drama, because they bring it back and they have those you know it's in it's ingrained in them. They have that gift of timing. Mm-hmm. And they can sort of play to the gallery as as Tom Hanks does in the fire scene. All the scenes with Wilson, which are also like really funny when he's talking to the volleyball. And uh, it's uh, and you and you see it in a lot of his other roles also that he's the, he he can bring the gifts of of comedy of having done that for many 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 years uh, into a lot of his serious roles, and it really uh, helps sort of uh, fill them out. Because you know, if you if you have to you know endure this, like again, Christian Bale. I don't think I would have wanted to watch this film with him. He yeah. would have done a great job, and he yeah. would probably won the Oscar, which Tom Hanks did not win. But it would have been insufferable because it would just have been like you know, it was like two hours of like grim Man. Christian Bale acting on, a, on an <laughs> island whereas Hanks is really entertaining, uh, even when he has. You know, no co- co-star. So I think, yeah, that's uh, not to drag Bale, who is great, yeah. but I just think that you know, actors who, who have had that uh, grounding in comedy, and who have that touch, sort of uh, their dramatic stuff later on, if they move in that direction, is always of great interest to me because I think they just like bring those little animals in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could, uh, and uh, I'll segue from that into the. Well, he directed two films, but this is the only one which people actually saw, Mm. uh, uh, which is That Thing You Do. The other was Larry Crown, which I don't know. Have you seen it?
0: Yeah, I've seen Larry Crown. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Is it any good? No, it's nothing to write home about, honestly.
1: (laughs) Okay. Uh, That Thing You Do is a a really uh, sparkling 1996 uh, film. Uh, about yeah. a fictional sort of uh, Beatles-esque American band who have one hit, and that uh, and and that's it. And it's it's pretty simple in the sense it just tracks the formation and the rise to fame and then the quick fall from yeah. fame of this band. And it's done in a very unassuming sort of uh, uh, manner. It's almost like a Jonathan Demme film. Uh, hmm. you can, uh, and, oh, and it's produced by Jonathan Demme, uh, oh, which, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, and it's shot by his uh, regular cinematographer who's Doug Fujimoto uh, but uh, directed and written by Hanks and he doesn't have a large part in this actually he's just there for uh, a couple of uh, more than a couple of scenes but he, he doesn't have a major part he plays uh, close to the villain of, of the movie it would be, I guess, the antagonist part in the movie. He plays a sort of A&R, uh, person, a r person, a music business guy who sort of snaps them up when they're becoming famous and he, uh, he kind of uh, uh, gives them an opportunity but also uh, sort of hems them in and tells them what they can and cannot sing. And uh, Hank's sort of very slyly and without uh, doing anything overtly, Villainous just suggests that he's going to let them down at some point and screw them over. Uh, in the end, they kind of screw themselves and uh, they don't really need Hanks to even do anything much. But it's a very interesting little performance. Like, uh, from, from uh, do you, uh, ha- Have you seen the film?
0: Yeah, yeah. It was one of my favorite 90s films, obviously. And uh, it's lovely that the band is called The Wonders because obviously they are the one-hit wonders technically. And it's just one of those things where... Hanks. And it's interesting you mentioned this in your list because uh, he is pretty much a supporting character in this film. He comes in like midway through or whatever and is that very show-busy manager. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I, I actually really like this film because obviously uh, for a lot of us who weren't alive when the Beatles were around and uh, uh, the the shit that went down between them and being sort of, there was clearly a John Lennon character in this. There was clearly the great drummer who, uh, I mean, there was obviously the very likable drummer in this one who sort of ends up being uh, uh, the empathetic character. And I love the fact that Tom Hanks, uh, as you said, plays a grey character in a way but at the same time you want him to sort of jolt them out of their small town uh, yeah. anonymity in a way uh, yeah. and you, know, you sort of agree with everything Tom Hanks is doing even though you know uh, that he's leading them into that very dark uh, part of fame which is going to tear them apart soon. and. Uh, Uh, And it's a very classic case of sort of wanting to dislike a character because of what they represent in the entertainment business. And then uh, uh, someone like Tom Hanks humanizing them uh, without sort of stealing the scene, which I thought was a very uh, smart thing to do. Of course, he directed it. And, uh, yeah, it's, and, you know, not to, I, I actually, some of my favorite moments from the film was Tom Hanks literally instructing them with his eyes and with his mouth uh, yeah. off the stage while they were making mistakes on the stage or while they were uh, sort of belting out like their super hit on the stage. Uh, Tom Hanks sort of being so busy with his hands and being so busy with his eyes. Uh, yeah, I can totally sort of see why this was a very different uh, Tom Hanks performance.
1: Yeah, he's... Uh, I've, uh... Uh, I brought on more for the film itself which is like sort of indicative of the way the Tom Hanks uh, uh, nerd nerdery sort of goes it goes in a in a backwards direction Uh, world war like early uh, American bands around the time when the were typewriters those kind of things are very much in the in in the Tom Hanks sort of uh, thing. I'm guessing he must have enjoyed uh, filming *A League of Their Own* also because that's also yeah. a period film and it with uh, early base. And I know he was a fan of uh, you know baseball growing up also. So that also it's and it's it's nice to see how over his career he's his, uh Fed his own kind of geekery and, and gotten studios to make films which they otherwise would not have made. For example, yeah. Greyhound, which took like ten years to make. And I guarantee you, if it was not Tom Hanks saying that this is my passion project and I probably yeah. won't star in A, B, and C films that you want to do, unless well, to make this, I'm sure it would not have got made.
0: Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, which brings me uh, to my last film on my list, uh, which is um, Sam Mendes' Road to Perdition. Uh, Of course, such a striking film, such a, um, you know, such a seductive film in many ways. Uh, Of course, again, a period film. So Tom Hanks organically sort of fits into the environment, but it's not what you may imagine. Uh, Hanks plays a hitman in this film uh, who works for a mob boss. Uh, and who is then betrayed by the mob boss. And he's sort of the good villain to uh, to a bad villain who is played by uh, Daniel Craig, who's the other son of the mob boss. And Tom Hanks is the adopted son. So it's a, it's an age-old sort of story. It's almost a Ramlakan sort of thing happening. And then Tom Hanks sort of playing uh, such an honorable uh, hitman who is trying to protect his son from the obvious dangers. Of uh of the you know of the bad villains in a sense, I really thought there was so much to this Hanks performance because it it was such a visually striking film and such a well directed film, well made film that it was very easy for someone like Hanks to slip under the radar in in that sense because there were a lot of other striking uh, things about you know Jude Law's role as the other hitman who sort of hired oh, to. Oh, he was great. Yeah, he such a great. creepy character. He you know, was like, so creepy. So creepy and that's all I remember like from this and you know Daniel Craig sort of very cowardly other son character. Uh, I just I mean the and Tom Hanks uh, I mean there are so many scenes you know I can sort of recall from this film but uh, playing someone who uh, one particular scene is after his wife and his other kid is killed uh, you know his sort of the realization moment for Hanks is uh, it's not what you may expect. Like for those who haven't seen the film, I won't want to totally spoil it for you all, but that's uh, one particular scene where I thought uh, sort of Hank sort of really challenged our perception of how a grieving uh, hitman in a way, a guy who's used to killing people all his life would sort of react to his own family in danger or his own family uh, already sort of uh, mauled. And, uh, the the way he goes about this whole film uh, works so, you know, even though the camera work was so striking, I think Conrad Hall shot yeah, this yeah. film. Yeah. 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 I think it
1: was his last film or something. Uh, or, yeah, one yeah,
0: of I a, last yeah, I think film. it was his last film or something. And uh, it's just that there were so many beautiful frames in this film. that And somehow, Tom Hanks, you obviously, we cannot imagine him as a hitman, as uh, someone who's sort of. Uh, trying to protect his son from becoming him. Uh, and it just, he sort of just melds into the cinematography in this film in a way because I can't imagine anyone else wearing the hat, wearing the overcoat with so much uh, awkward charm in a way. And the entire, you know, Chicago mobster thing really comes alive when Hanks is on the run from uh, uh, from the people who are trying to sort of kill his son and kill him. And uh, I just thought there was a lo- many different layers to his performances because his character is feeling betrayal and pain and grief and at the same time a very paternal sort of protection. Again, it comes back to how sort of, you know, really uh, uh, deceptively, uh, you know, charming and nuanced uh, Hanks can be in the most unassuming roles. Uh, what did you sort of make of this performance? So
1: the... I'm, I'm actually quite conflicted about Road to Perdition. Uh, mm. It's a film that uh, I love. It's uh, amazingly beautifully shot and really well directed. I am, it's not my favorite Hank's performance. I think mm. he, does, he does well. And uh, especially the father-son scenes, of course, are very moving. As uh, especially one at the end where he's talking about the boy's brother, the surviving boy's brother, and I think the boy asks Tom Hanks whether he liked that boy more or something or uh, than than him, and Tom Hanks said he he was just such a sweet kid, and Mm. he kind of you know that 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 just breaks your heart the way he says it. So you know the the it's it's not a bad performance at all. I just Mm. I don't buy him. In, in that role, somehow, oh. it never... Especially when you're surrounded by Paul Newman as as the older gangster, who's kind of a father figure to him before they kind of turn up on the opposite sides of... Uh, uh, and uh, Jude Law uh, in that really creepy role, and then Daniel Craig, and even yeah. Stanley Tucci sort of seeming yeah. tough. Uh, and uh, it's, uh, it's, it's somehow hank seemed to be the one uh, the the one out uh, the odd one out in this bunch to me mm-hmm. it didn't uh, and there so there, i kind of go back and forth whenever i'm watching the film uh, uh so, so it's uh, sometimes you know i'm 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 in it a lot and then the other times i'm thinking you know it's not really uh, fitting in there so this is one performance in which i kind
0: of I'm, I'm on the fence about. Mm. Yeah, that that kind of worked for me. The odd one out thing here, uh, especially when the whole trope of humanizing mobsters or criminals uh, comes to the fore, especially with the way we make gangster, I mean, the way these directors make gangster films, sort of, I mean, that really, for me, stood out because he was playing more of a father who was trying to overwhelm the gangster in himself, which I guess you know, I can totally get when placed opposite such obvious, uh, strikingly evil or strikingly uh, grey characters would seem a bit off. But yeah, for some reason, this hang's performance has, you know, always stayed with me. And it's not Mm -hmm. like I only remember his face in this film or particular scenes. I just remember him as part of frames in this film, as part Mm of uh, the way we visualise the film. Uh, I only remember a lot of him in silhouettes uh, in this film, and you know, it just sort of the film sort of adds to uh, the aura of his performance for me in this one. So I guess, yeah. I mean, I, I guess I just over the years this has grown on me. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of it when it when I actually watched it a long time ago, but yeah, one of those things. Let's uh,
1: let's talk about one more film, and then maybe we can just sort of wrap yeah. up by talking about the set. Uh, did not work Uh, but this is a film that's on neither of our lists because both of us thought the other would uh, would put it in because we uh, both of us are are huge fans of the film uh, which is uh, Bridge of Spies uh, another uh, Spielberg Tom Hanks collaboration and uh, uh, quite a quite an amazing performance uh, from him as as a lawyer who was sent in, I I think, in the 1950s or 60s uh, to East Germany to try and negotiate the return of a a pilot uh, uh, with uh, the exchange of a Soviet spy who's played by the great Mark Rylance. Who I think neither of us knew, or I vaguely knew from a really bad uh, Sean Penn action movie that had come out the year before, or the same year, and uh, I saw in this my I saw him in this my mind was blown to absolute bits, and apparently that's what happened <laughs> to Tom Hanks also because he yeah. didn't really know him. And then after their first scene together, he goes to Spielberg, takes him aside and says, Mark Rylance, oh my God. So he looks <laughs> pretty much like us.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Bridge of Spies is a great, uh, of course, a great film. And uh, I, I mean, I, I, it'll be a good time to mention that I was so taken by the film that uh, I actually when I, I did a trip to Germany, I actually went all across Berlin. First of all, Checkpoint Charlie was one of my first stops, which is obviously very popular and looks nothing like it did in the 1960s <laughs> or 1950s. But, uh, or 1980s, I guess, I don't know. But uh, uh, I did also go to the actual bridge uh, offside, which is way outside Berlin and like a couple of hours. And it it was one of my better sort of travel memories. And I'm very glad that uh, Bridge of Spies inspired that because you know this uh, him playing a sort of righteous lawyer uh, was actually one of the best Spielberg-Hanks collaborations for me yeah
1: and it was I think uh, part of that loose Spielberg trilogy uh, which is Lincoln and Bridge of Spies and then The Post yeah. which is uh, I think his way of talking about Crucial moments in American history and, and what it means to be, you know, to do the right thing uh, and do the difficult thing at, at, uh, at those moments. Uh, and yeah. um, I, I, uh, I mean, the, the first two films are, are some of my favorite films of the last decade. And uh, I thought the, this Hank's performance in particular, once he goes to Germany, then the performance just lifts into another level because uh, he, he has to deal with the, the uh, Soviet uh, uh, attaché and then he has to deal with the Germans out there and he has to sort of uh, balance the handlers who've been sent with him uh, and uh, he's just sort of juggling all these things. And uh, again, like you, you'd mentioned, I think, Greyhound, you'd said that it kind of reminded, uh, that Spies reminded you. And that, that juggling thing really comes mm. out here because he's, he's trying to do so many things, but he can't show any yeah. of his cards at any point. He just mm. has to sort of seem like he's in command, whereas he's making it all up. And yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it was I mean, and lovely last scene of the film also when he reaches home and sort of uh, cannot tell his wife and kids about where he was. And they, <laughs> uh, they see it on the news that he sort of uh, brokered such a big deal. And, uh, and then yeah. they see him collapsed on the bed, like just asleep. Yeah. There's so much of like a flashback happens in the viewer's mind itself. And uh, of course, there was also that scene where he's passing in a train Uh, he's taking the train after work and everyone sees his face in the newspaper and he has this very uh, very sort of fleeting uh, expression of pride on his face but at the same time it immediately gets overwhelmed by the fact that he's just reminded of where he's come from when he sees a bunch of kids playing uh, and and sort of jumping over a wall he's reminded of the Berlin Wall and how kids were being shot so that was a lovely little fleeting moment and that's such a good example of how Spielberg really understands Hanks strengths and uh, how he knows how to weaponize that uh, sort of uh, that that smug expression on Hanks face when he wants to do something funny but uh, he, he wants the viewer to know that he's you know onto something uh, which is which is yeah which is such an acquired thing and uh, yeah, for me, Bridge of Spies, obviously, it was uh, eclipsed in a way by an Oscar-winning performance by Mike Ra- Mark Rylance as uh, as the spy, as the Russian spy. So, but yeah, Hanks has been like, yeah, uh, Hanks has made a career out of being eclipsed and sort of making an art of being eclipsed at the same time after the 90s, at least for me.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely
0: true. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, I mean, the any performances that really did not work. So,
1: uh, I mean, there's Saving Mr. Banks in the, yeah. which is, uh, it's just, um, he reduces Walt Disney, who was not a nice man at all. Yeah, he might watch but, uh, him. Uh, oh. It completely makes him like this sort of bouncy uncle. Uh, yeah like like the lay person's idea of what Tom Hanks is he makes Walt Disney that and uh, I don't blame him so much as the film uh, because uh, it's um, it, it, it was just it was not a f- it was a Disney film uh, talking about uh, a Disney film I think it was a yeah. Disney film yeah uh, and uh, it, it just it wasn't
0: uh, yeah
1: yeah, it it, it just uh, did not uh, work. And Emma Thompson, uh, her scenes with him were just played for parody, and uh, just one of the very disappointing performances. And if you see a beautiful day in the neighborhood, uh, you could see what he can do with a really famous person if given a more sensitive, you know, director and approach. Uh, unlike yeah.
0: something like uh, Saving Mr. Banks who just wants to be like, you know, make people cry. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, Saving Mr. Banks was a misfire. Uh, for me, uh, a complete waste of time of Ang's career. And I can't believe we did three films that too. And that too with a great director uh, like Ron, Ron Howard. So both Ron Howard and Tom Ang should really be asking for forgiveness. They did the Dan Brown trilogy, uh which was Darwin Jones is really bad. I mean <laughs> I mean this... if you think about it Hanks has done three films three entire films as Robert Langdon with no imagination at all.
1: And and the casting sounded wrong from the start. I yeah. I must admit I am a huge fan of the of the books. Uh, yeah. I, I know they're trash I read them and they give me great pleasure <laughs> <laughs> I read them, and then I try and go and read like something that I can't understand as penance, but yeah. uh, these are uh, <laughs> the, the, I love the books, but when and and everything about it should have worked in theory because I love the books, Hanks is a favorite, and I am very fond of Ron Howard also. So there is no reason why it should not have worked, but
0: it's terrible. I mean, they're just, they're really bad. Yeah, it's really bad. Like, and it went on for three films, which, you know, goes on to tell you how well Da Vinci Code did, and then how well Angel and Demons did. And they get not only Hanks wrong, they get a lot of casting wrong, you know. (laughs) They, They pretty much get everyone wrong, which is why Hanks' performance is amplified as this sort of, semi-long-haired professor uh, running across Europe oh, and the world. I forgot the support. long hair. I yeah. the
1: long hair. Oh, man.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and most of his scenes, like, silent scenes are him swimming in the pool before being summoned by some important people in some very shady part of the globe. And so much exposition in this film. Like, if people blame Nolan for exposition, I'd slap them if they haven't seen, like, Hank's <laughs> in this film because everything he's saying is basically Dan Brown writing and it's just one of the most frustrating performances, not because it's just one like author, it's like three different films and it's just a waste of time and I just can't imagine what else Hanks must, might have done better <laughs> with that time like so much could no, have. yeah, it
1: know that that role was kind of doomed from the start I, 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 I think it needed like a Clive Owen type uh, yeah to to sort of pull through, and instead somehow Tom Hanks landed up in it, and I think the only good thing that series has done is get Irfan and uh, Tom Hanks uh, in the uh, in 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 the same movie.
0: Yeah.
1: A shout yeah. out to our Irfan podcast, by the way. <laughs>
0: yeah. Also,
1: yeah. Right. <laughs> Any other uh, Hanks stuff that just doesn't work for you?
0: uh not really There's, i mean for me there's no such thing as a bad hans performance it's just that the i'll blame everyone around him for that i'll blame the film i'll blame the directors <laughs> what, blame, what about like,
1: uh, what about the coens uh, for uh, in, oh, in 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 the lady killers
0: oh yeah you have strong feelings about that
1: <laughs> in the I, I think it's i mean i don't know if it's a good performance it's probably not a good performance but I mean, it's it's, uh, but it's it's almost like a predecessor of what Leonardo DiCaprio was doing in Django Unchained. It, it's it's <laughs> un it's uncannily like that actually. Yeah, I, that's uh, actually a
0: good point because yeah, it is it is. It's
1: uh, but it's just uh, it's a black comedy, and he's uh, playing this sort of, sort of southern gentleman, and. Uh, it's he's uh, it's 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 the closest he comes to like complete slapstick acting, and some yeah. of it is very uh, is very entertaining, uh, yeah. but um, it's uh, it sort of overtakes the whole film, and uh, makes it impossible to really uh, you know connect with it in any way. Not that you'd want to connect with the film. It's terrible. It's it's yeah. possibly the Coen's one of
0: the worst films that they've they've directed yeah the film is crap it so consciously tries to be eccentric that you sort of lose <laughs> you lose interest by you know midway through the film I thought Hanks was interesting in it I wouldn't call it a bad performance I thought he had something going and as you very rightly said uh, DiCaprio sort of built on it later but uh, yeah I mean it was definitely an interesting film it's like watching a car crash you can't take an your eyes <laughs> off it. It's one of those things that's very morbidly fascinating, and I kind of liked it. Even you know, Hanks is so good that he even does bad roles so well. So it's all. I mean, it's one of those things. But yeah, <laughs> which uh, yeah. Any other performances you have in mind?
1: No, I think that's that's about it. Yeah. The I mean, they're the Toy Story films again. Since we mentioned his bad franchise, we should mention. <laughs> A successful franchise. (laughs) Uh, I don't know if there's too much to say about it, except that, you know, uh, at at one point I used to love those films. I don't know if I watch them now. I'm a bit off Pixar in my old age.
0: (laughs) Yeah, same. Yeah, Toy Story is obviously very. uh, What about Cloud Atlas?
1: Ah, I think you have stronger feelings about that. I think you should, it was on your list at one point. Yeah, I
0: mean, it was on my list because I've never seen a film more ambitious than that in my entire (laughs) watching career. Literally, like, I cannot imagine filmmakers trying to aspire to those heights. And Crowd Atlas is, it's sort of so many things at one go and it's so many different kinds of craft sort of combining and Hanks plays so many roles and actually most of them do but uh, I don't remember much of the film like I can't tell you what it's about even if you ask me years down the line like right now but I remember being very fascinated by 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 the fact that I couldn't recognize Hanks for a long time in the film like I, I went in sort of blind into the film and uh, I, I you know I obviously didn't know much about it and I found it very uh, pleasantly surprising that you know someone of his stature can uh, sort of take a free swing like that and play so many different characters. Prosthetics be damned, VFX be damned. It's just one of those things where uh, you just remember Hanks was sort of really uh, going left of field, really liked the yeah. film. And uh, yeah. I still don't know what to make of the film, but I will give... Tom Hanks and a lot of the other actors credit for uh, sort of pulling off what they did because there in no way was this an easy sell and uh, uh, I can I can't imagine anyone else uh, who is perceived to be as safe as Hanks doing something like this
1: Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. It, it's certainly like a batshit crazy film uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know if I, if I particularly liked it but I again, as, as, as you said, I don't think I've seen anything that tries uh, so many things out in like a three-hour running time. Uh, yeah. no it is. It's also the only film in which uh, uh, you can get uh, to see Tom Hanks throw someone off a building. So there <laughs> is that. While doing yeah. perhaps the worst British accent any <laughs> American actor has ever committed to film.
0: Yeah, and wanting us to know that also in a way, I think
1: probably
0: yeah, it goes with the film really. Yeah, it's <laughs> like
1: that, that. why would you have an authentic accent in a film that's like in five different time zones and like six actors playing six different characters each? Yeah,
0: yeah, which uh, yeah, which which sort of wraps us. Our, wraps up our uh, very passionate podcast about Hanks, and this brings us to an end of a very uh, fruitful discussion. So, um, we are not sorry for wasting almost two hours of your life, because this was really rewarding uh, for us to get out of our systems also. And uh, yeah, I and mean, you know we hopefully look forward to discussing Tom Hanks again, uh, 10 years down the line, maybe his next 50 films, which would be great, actually. Uh so thanks a lot today for joining. Oh
1: well, this is fun.
0: Yeah. So until next time. All right.